Infertility is a buzzword that is often heard in the media, but how many people is it affecting? The CSO released in 2017 that the birth rate in Ireland has fallen to its lowest in 10 years. I spoke to Rachel Dean, a 29-year-old who was told she was going into early menopause, about her infertility journey and why she decided to use a sperm donor to have her now three-month-old baby, Ted. I always had really um, weird periods. Like they might last for 10 days. I might get two in one month, maybe like for years and years and years. And I'd always go back to the doctor and she, I remember when she sent me for an ultrasound to see if there was like, you know, polyps or whatever. Came back all clear. I went for smears and all the rest and they all came back clear. And But I always knew there was something just not normal. Like nobody gets yeah. 10 day periods. Nobody gets two periods in one month not last year the year before I was like I'll go and get a fertility test so I went to Sims Clinic and they do this thing called an AMH test and it's basically a blood test and they check your AMH which is a hormone in your blood and so they rang me back the nurse rang me back about two weeks later and she said your results are in, um, but before I go any further, I just want to know, is there a history of early menopause in your family? Rachel explained that her AMH levels were 7, and for a woman her age, they should be 15, meaning that her fertility was half of what it should be. And I was like, okay, she's got the wrong person here. Like, I really do wasn't expecting her to say that. I was like, right, so what does that mean? So she said, basically, you're going to menopause around the age of 40 rather than say 50 the average yeah. age is so I thought oh my god and she said um are you thinking of trying for a baby and I was like well I wasn't really at the time uh, but I was like um well you know I was just thinking and she goes because your fertility will probably be peak now in the next two years but after two years then it'll just start to decline and I was thinking oh my god I'm only 29 now and like what's that so 31 it's just gonna be really really difficult to have a baby like that's you know I might as well just do it now like or else yeah never know like looking back on oh should I have done it you know when Rachel found out that she was going into early menopause she decided that it really was now or never if she wanted to have a baby herself and her fiance Sarah decided to go down the route of IUI and use sperm donor Rachel said it wasn't a hard decision for her to make as she knew as a couple, they would need to use a sperm donor in the future anyway. Um, I knew Sarah wanted to have a baby too. Um, the next step then was she gave me some advice on the vitamins to take. So started taking the vitamins then for about three or four months. And we made an appointment then for the January to visit the doctor in Sims. So when we visited the doctor, he said, look, seven is still a really good number for your AMH you know people come in level three or four and he would say to them okay this is going to be really difficult but he said you're 29 okay so your AMH is seven and should be 15 but you know you still have a really good chance definitely we'll do IUI we don't need to do IVF unless you know we do maybe three to six rounds of IUI and it is still failed but um, IUI is a lot cheaper than IVF so we just decided to go with that. 
Rachel was lucky in that she got pregnant after her first round of IUI. In women under 35, there is only a 10 to 20% chance rate of getting pregnant on the first round. So for the sperm donor, there's this website called Creos, C-R-Y-O-S, at Denmark, I think. And you go on and basically there's these drop down boxes you pick. It's not a random selection. You're like choosing what kind of baby you like. You can see the pictures, the guy of him as a baby and a full profile like of mental assessments, physical assessments, like um, health checks and all that family background. But you don't know their name. They just have, okay. they have a fake name, but you can still see them as a baby. It's kind of weird, but I loved it. Um, you know, we chose a baby with red hair because the baby's obviously going to look like me because I'm carrying it, but it's not going to look like her, but she has red hair. So let's just give oh, it a little nice. bit of both. So it turned out that he, the, the one that we chose, he was um, three quarter, three quarters Irish and a quarter German and he had red hair. So... That was the selling point, was it? Yeah, but I knew. I knew the minute I saw this profile, I was like, this is my baby. I looked at the picture of it, of the person as a child, and I went, that's my baby. My baby's going to look like that. It's really, really weird. Then what you do then is you... So I thought, yeah, this is this is the one. This is the person that I want to have their sperm. So you go to the clinic and you say, right, we've chosen this person. You give them the name the fake name say um let's just say his name is john on his profile i want john and then the guy in the clinic has to check that john has not given sperm in ireland before so so anyway it turned out that he hadn't donated to ireland at all okay and you can only sorry you can only donate to three families in in your life in no in one country in one country okay yeah so he hadn't donated to ireland at all yet So we were like, that's great. So he was available for us. Sperm donors are only allowed to donate three people in Ireland in order to control the number of children with the same father from a sperm donation. So yeah, it was really, really quick. We, our first consultation was in the January and it was just two months later then. Yeah, the process is great. Labor is not great. It's, yeah, definitely would go through the IUI process again. I would never have known. I don't know what made me think I'm going to go get the fertility test because it's not something that people think about. No. But I just knew. I knew that there was something not right with my periods. I would definitely say just go and get a a fertility test done. Like, it costs €160. I know that's quite expensive. But, you know, for peace of mind, if somebody says to you, look, you don't have much time you've got two years imagine you got to the age of say 35 and you were ready by then to have babies and you were trying and trying and trying for years like that's what I just kept thinking what if I get to the age of say 32 which is still really young like to have a baby and it just doesn't work because it's not as easy for us because you know it's two females we're gonna have to get a sperm donor anyway it's not as if you can just keep trying every month it's quite expensive do you know yeah and then I was like I'll never forgive myself if I get to that age and it just doesn't work and I don't have kids and then it's like oh I should have just done it back then even though when I was 29 I was like I'm not ready 
I wanted to hike Machu Picchu for my 30th birthday, but I was pregnant <laughs> on my 30th birthday. Do you know, but I'm so glad. No, I don't think there's enough awareness for fertility at all. According to the Central Statistics Office, there were 15,659 births in quarter one of 2018, 5% less than the same period in 2017. The average age of first-time mothers was 31.1, up 0.1 years from the same period in 2017. The average age of all mothers at maternity for births registered in quarter one of 2018 was 32.9 years, up 0.1 years from quarter one in 2017. There were 15,419 births in quarter two of 2018, 197 births or 1.3% more than the same period in 2017. The average age of all mothers at maternity for births registered in quarter two of 2018 was 32.9 years, also up 0.1 years from quarter two in 2017. The Irish Examiner reported in March this year that Ireland still has one of the highest fertility rates in the EU despite the falling number of babies born to women in the Republic. EU figures show that Ireland has the third highest fertility rate after France and Sweden. According to irishhealth.com, about one in six couples experience difficulty conceiving. There are many reasons why a couple or a woman may use donor sperm. The first sperm bank was brought into Ireland in 1980 and since then many Irish couples have used this option. Marian Fertility Clinic was established in 1998 by Professor Mary Wingfield and other fellow doctors at the National Maternity Hospital in Dublin. Since then, the clinic has gained a reputation as a leading IVF clinic in Ireland, providing treatment cycles for hundreds of couples every year and achieving pregnancy rates above the internationally recognised norms. The clinical pregnancy rate for IVF and ICSI treatments for 2017 was 45.5% per completed cycle of treatment. In couples where the female partner was 35 years of age or younger, the chance of conceiving with a fresh cycle of treatment was 54.3%. I spoke to Joyce Layden, one of the senior embryologists in the Marian Fertility Clinic, about donor sperm and IVF options there. The Marian would offer all kind of aspects of fertility treatment, so that would encompass IUI treatment, IVF treatment and ICSI treatment, so they're kind of different level of, um, in, I suppose, investigations and invasiveness of trying to achieve fertilisation and ultimately trying to achieve pregnancy. So there's no limitation for anyone wishing to embark on donor sperm. It will ne- kind of depend on their age category or their own, I suppose, level of infertility uh, as to which area they'd be best suited to investigate. We've been offering donor sperm probably kind of early 2018 so it's it's relatively new in the clinic here generally for our KPIs which are kind of statistics of what we look at from our outcomes every year we would be now analyzing 2018 because you have to wait for the whole year to finish and then wait for the pregnancy outcomes to be finished for anyone who had treatment in November or December so we're kind of analyzing that data now but I'd say kind of we would be hoping to pitch towards kind of maybe 10% or so of the the, the whole patient group that would attend the population that would attend here maybe 10 to 15% would probably need donor sperm. The people who would generally need donor sperm may be single women who are embarking on treatment on their own for same-sex couples, so lesbian couples who may need donor sperm, but also for heterosexual couples where the man has no testicular function or he knows that he has no sperm being produced in his ejaculate. So they would be slightly different subgroup. They would have their own investigations to diagnose that first. And once that's confirmed then that they may need donor sperm, um, that would be with the medical team. They'll then be kind of directed towards the donor sperm program 
from here. So firstly, they would need to see a doctor um, to determine that they need donor sperm. They then would have a counselling session with our counsellor, fertility counsellor here, just, you know, to make sure that they have the right support network set up to embark on that type of treatment. And they'll go through different options with them. And then when it comes to actually selecting the donor, they would meet before that, they would meet one of the lead nurse coordinators here and she would go through kind of the paperwork and the blood tests that are required. So generally the female embarking on treatment will have some blood tests such as her blood group and then something called a CMV status, um, which is a cytomegalovirus. It's a specific thing that we test for. And when the results of that come back, that will kind of help us direct the couple as to what type of donor sperm they would be eligible to buy. We generally try to keep your blood group. So we'd say hypothetically your blood group is A positive. The positive part is in relation to your rhesus factor. So we try to encourage patients to buy a donor that has the same rhesus factor as themselves. So if they're rhesus positive, they should generally buy a rhesus positive donor. Cytomegalovirus is something else that, as I said, the female would be tested for. So if you were CMV negative, we would generally encourage patients to buy a donor that's also CMV negative. But equally, if you were CMV positive, you can buy a CMV positive or negative donor. It just means that you have antibodies built up against that virus. Then it's up to the couple really, or the the single woman as to which type of donor they want. We would have specific sperm banks that we import sperm from. So there's no sperm banks in Ireland um, and we would import donor sperm. So we have two donor sperm banks on our license here that have been kind of vetted and we're licensed to import from those banks. So we would direct them towards those websites and they go home and they kind of research the donors. It's really up to themselves kind of characteristically what they want in a donor so eye colour hair colour you know education status ethnicity that's really up to the couple or the person themselves and then they'll come back to the lab with a list of donors that they're potentially interested in so once the lab have that list we'll then go and make sure kind of the blood group and the CMV status is correct we'll also check on the bank itself that the donor is actually available and that there are units of sperm available to purchase and then within Ireland we have something called the Irish Clinical Embryologist which is a society of all the embryologists in Ireland and we monitor there's a database uh, that we have and we try and monitor the amount of donor sperm that's being used across the clinics so we have a family quota set in place of three families per donor um, nationwide so we would check that database to make sure that the donor is actually eligible for the couple to buy so generally they might come back with three or four donors that they're interested in purchasing and then it'll depend on the eligibility of those donors as to which one's available for them to purchase. So the cost of the donor, so on each sperm bank, um, they'll list the price of the donor. That's really up to the bank as to how they, the pricing structure of that. Often the donors that are, I suppose, deemed more eligible um, might be more expensive. And then, so really whatever the price is on the, the actual website, that's what we would charge the patient. Um, VAT is incurred on top of that. So the website would be excluding VAT. Our two banks are based in Scandinavia and the VAT there is 25%. So whatever that price is. On average, I think roughly the straws, so uh, one donor sperm is usually packaged in a straw. That's just the, the terminology used. So one straw of donor sperm tends to be somewhere between kind of six to 800 euro per straw kind of including that. It just depends which bank you go with and if the donor is more expensive than others. I think sometimes when donors have achieved pregnancies, their, I suppose, desirability goes up a little bit because patients like to know that a pregnancy is is capable with the sperm. So those donors might be a little bit more expensive. And then some banks will charge extra. They're really just add-ons, but it depends on the patient themselves if they want more information, such as baby photos of the donor or kind of extended interviews. I think you can get 
audio footage or live audio um, kind of tapes and then there's some kind of letters and things like that so it really kind of there's different levels of information that the donor will give and I think the banks then charge more depending on how much information you want so there is confidentiality and there's anonymity um, with the donors so donors when they're donating sperm will either choose to be anonymous in which case there's no contact ever feasible either from the child or the couple or the clinic donors that are non-anonymous they can be contacted but only by the child and when the child is 18 so there's no contact made from the intended parents or the clinic it's all anonymous up to a point through the sperm bank and with the clinic but then when a child has achieved I suppose 18 years old they're now an adult and they can contact that donor. I asked Joyce if it is becoming more popular in Ireland. It's definitely a growing area for multiple reasons it's not that patients are more infertile now than they ever were. Unfortunately, female age is a huge contributing factor and women delaying, you know, starting a family is definitely a contributing factor. But that would be fertility across the board, not specifically donor sperm. Um, I suppose the donor sperm field of fertility treatment is growing and that's probably more a social awareness and social acceptance of couples embarking on treatment, whether it's same-sex couples or single women um, or heterosexual couples. I think they're just more comfortable with society's attitudes towards that. How can people help increase their fertility? Your general health will be of benefit. So, you know, smoking and social drinking and your BMI levels, if they were all within normal range, you know, obviously a non-smoker will have better outcomes. Someone within a normal BMI range will also have possibly better percentage outcomes. So there are things you can control. There are large proportions of causes of infertility that are uncontrollable that you may not have a fallopian tube due to from when you were born or there could be endometriosis which is something that you just have and there's very little you can do to control that obviously you can address issues medically or have surgery or some kind of intervention but there's nothing you can do to control those factors but certainly general health of course and then I mean for most women really trying to achieve pregnancy earlier in life rather than later is the huge factor really. What are your success rates like? Success rates in general, so our success rates are on the website, um, so they're kind of calculated annually, as I said, so we would look back on the year's data, so I would suspect what's on our website at the moment would be 2017. I think for, we'll say for IVF and ICSI, so they're slightly more invasive types of fertility treatment, um, because in that avenue of treatment, you're actually fertilizing an embryo, and then you're having hopefully an embryo transfer. I think the success rates across all age groups would be kind of mid-40s, 45%, give or take for patients with donor sperm it depends like often patients who are embarking on donor sperm there may not be any infertility causes whilst heterosexual couples if a single woman or a same-sex couples or even heterosexual couples where the lack of sperm from the male aspect is the cause of infertility there may be no female infertility reason um so those patients may surpass that 45% kind of success rate but you know there may be underlying issues you may only find out as you go through treatment you realize actually your fertility isn't as fantastic as you had hoped it would be you know there should be no assumption that just because you're embarking on donor sperm that you're automatically fertile yourself but generally those patients will probably do a little bit better success wise. What is the IVF process here in the Marion Clinic? The IVF process will say the standard kind of starting process would be to come see a doctor. They'll decide what investigations need to start. So that would be blood groups, whether any kind of um, surgical interventions or investigations need to take place. Once the results all come back with that, then you'll start kind of meeting the nursing department. They'll go through what type of medication you'll be on. And that's all dictated by the medical team. And they kind of teach you how to take the drugs, how often you take them. 
etc. So once that kind of all starts and you start taking the what's called FSH, so it's a follicle stimulating hormone. So you take injections to try and promote as many eggs to grow in your ovaries in that particular two week period. So normally you would only have one or two eggs that would grow in your ovaries every month. But there are smaller follicles that have eggs that would start initially, but they would traditionally regress. And when you're taking that medication, those eggs are encouraged to grow as well. So just before kind of midway in your cycle, so when you would traditionally ovulate those eggs, if you weren't on fertility treatment, when you're on fertility treatment, we would collect those eggs from the ovaries. um, And that's a very small kind of surgical procedure. You are in theatre. So the eggs are retrieved from the ovaries kind of through I suppose it's a transvaginal procedure and those eggs are then passed into the laboratory and once the eggs are in the lab then whether it's donor sperm or partner sperm they're fertilized so IVF would be where the sperm is prepared so you're left with really a cohort of highly motile sperm they're simply added to the dish with the eggs and they're left to fertilized kind of naturally so to speak they are in a, in a petri dish um, in the incubator so they're left to fertilize overnight and then the next day fertilization should have taken place so depending on how many embryos then are fertilized they're then cultured or grown in the lab anywhere from three to six days so depending on how the development takes place and how many embryos are there that'll determine which day would be most appropriate to have an embryo transfer next i spoke to emily slater who went through her own fertility issues and had thought of donor sperm as one of her options when she decided that she was going to have a baby. August 2017 was when I started to get the lower abdomen pain, and then I ended up in A&E, we got an ultrasound, and then I was referred to the gynecologist to have a look at the tube and to see what the actual problem was, which is when they found that a bug had attacked it, which meant that I needed a surgery to remove half the reproductive system, which would lower my chance of having kids by 50%, basically. What happened was a bug attacked my tube and this bug, I was like, where did I catch this from? How did I get this? He basically told me that this was as easy as getting a urinary tract infection. And basically the bug had done damage to the tube on the inside to the extent that when I ovulate, the pain is so intense that it's just unbearable. Like, So he basically told me that their suggestion would be that the tube has to come out which meant that I would only have one ovary that worked. So you only, as a woman, which I had to go and research all this, but as a woman, you only have a certain amount of eggs in each ovary. So by taking out one of my ovaries, I'm cutting my eggs basically in half, if not even more, because sometimes you have more on one side than the other. So it was quite a scary thing. It was basically that, not that you can never have a child, there's still a chance with one, but the chances are a lot slimmer than with two. It was pretty much there and then in that consultation when he was talking to me about it because I had left my long-term relationship and my mother was with me and I just said, well, I, I want to have a baby. I don't want it, this to take it off the cards. And he said, but I can't guarantee that you will have a child with one. And like, I was terrified of that option. I was thinking in my head, I always considered myself, I'd be a mother at some point, not at 21, but I definitely was afraid for that. And so my mom was looking at me and I just said, well, if it's a case that you, you're telling me that I have to take the tube out, I want to have a baby now. 
And he said, well, we'll work with you. We'll help you. And I was like, okay, that's brilliant. So that's kind of when we made the decision to have the baby first and then take out the tube. So when I came to the decision to have the baby, then that's when he started talking to me about how we were going to go about it. So I wasn't in a relationship. I was seeing someone, but I wasn't in a relationship. So he said, is this person a possible donor for you? He then suggested, well, maybe we can look at sperm donation. I said, that's perfect. I said, I didn't even realize that's done in Ireland. It's not very common in Ireland. So I was still a bit shocked and I was like where do we go he said the most popular places if you're traveling are Spain Denmark and the Czech Republic however sperm donation is so expensive it's incredibly expensive which was probably the most shocking to me and my mom I think my mom had looked into how much it would be to get a consultation when we got over there and that probably took with all the research between Spain looking at the three different countries and where it was easiest to get to flight options and you know working with Connor it was probably just at that point kind of looking at how much a consultation would cost us as far as we kind of got yes that was recommended to us and again it's also very expensive over here Connor was saying you know will we extract the eggs and freezing the eggs and they do a lot of work with that as well so we looked into them but again just as far as the consultation point um, he was very concerned I know and he just kind of said you need to go and have a think about it but at the end of the day it was myself and my mom sitting down at the kitchen table kind of googling if that made sense and no one speaks about infertility. It was kind of going to Google and saying, what are our options, which is kind of sad. We did think of IVF, but with IVF over here, you still need two people, two participating parties. So when I went to the person I was seeing in the first place, that was the option that was laid out because they didn't know how long it would take me to get pregnant naturally. So when I went to him, I was like, you know, we can go to a clinic and it can be done in this way and, and, and that way which I'm sure for him was absolutely terrifying as it was for me. Yeah, the IVF clinics that were recommended to me were the Marion, the Repro Med Dublin is really popular as well. My gynecologist had predicted that it would actually take me until February 2019. So a whole year of kind of letting my tube repair and getting my reproductive system that so planned basically in the in their heads working with these clinics or whoever I chose that you're regulating your ovulation that you had it down to a T when you would get pregnant so they were saying a definitely a year within four weeks I just by chance got pregnant after looking through all the options I was fortunate enough to actually ask my partner and say to him I'm I need to have a baby and if that's not with you that's okay but I'm giving you the option to have this with me so he did so we ended up starting to try working with Connor, knowing that we would probably have a consultation in a clinic that year. But I ended up getting pregnant with four weeks with this guy I'm seeing. I knew the minute I missed my first period that I was pregnant. I'm so regular and everything. I knew the pain from the ovulation in the tube. It wasn't there and, and it, nothing was happening. However, I got some pain then two days after the 2nd of February. So I took a test. It was positive. I rang the D doctor. They told me to get into Bowman straight away because there was a really high chance it was ectopic if it had come from the right tube. So they brought me in. They did loads of scans. They were just checking it all out. I was then sent into the rotunda all on the same day. They couldn't really see where the egg was. I know on the first week, I had to go back in the Monday to the, in the rotunda they have early pregnancy clinic there and they're huge specialists in all this the ectopic pregnancy and also they brought me in there and they did a scan so I got my first kind of proper scan for my baby at four weeks which is a bit mad because you never actually get to see your baby until 12. I was in then at four weeks six weeks eight weeks 
10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks. So I had a lot of scans before, you know, a normal person would have only had two, like, so it was a bit crazy. So we really got to see her grow. But also too, I did feel very supported once I was in the rotunda because they were such specialists like and they were really watching the pain. I ended up being preeclamptic as well. They don't know if that was due to the tube. They can't, you know, they can't really say. So it was a high risk pregnancy from beginning to end because obviously the preeclampsia I had to be induced. The chances for a second baby probably are very low, but like I said to Connor when I went into him, I, I wanted to have one baby and just know that, you know, she was the one. If it happens again, great. If not, I'm not too worried about it because I did know that this was coming. This was a Newswire documentary created by Clara Castlin and Kira O'Loughlin.